Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Into the Borough podcast here on the Borough Reviews Network. My name is Jared, and joining me as always is Linda. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of our Into the Borough podcast. Yeah, there you go. If you want to start doing the intro sometime, you sure can. Um, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just you like mocking so you. <laughs> you. did so good there. It sounded just like me. Thank um, you. We have got a news-heavy show for you this week. A lot happened last week at the Oscars, so we want to talk about it. Um, did Steven Sodenberg do a good job at directing and kind of maneuvering in this post not really post-COVID yet, but we're almost to that point. In this post-COVID kind of world at the Oscars, did he do a good job at navigating kind of a new format? Uh, We'll talk about that a little later in the show. And then also, you know, who are the big winners? Um, It should be no surprise to everyone, but I didn't do that great on my Oscar betting. Um, Luckily, I didn't bet any money this year uh, because really, like, I hadn't seen a lot of the best picture nominees. I normally try and see at least like 80 or 90% of them, but I haven't seen the father. I haven't seen the trial of Chicago seven. I haven't seen Minari yet. And then promising young woman is one that I haven't seen either. So I'm just, I was completely in the dark for a lot of these things. Um, so bear with me. I did get my final rating for my Oscars ballot was 11 out of 24. Correct. So, Um, obviously I can do better than 45%. Uh, so I will next time. Um, big winners, obviously Nomadland. Uh, I mean, we'll get into more of the specifics later on in the show. Um, but yeah, we have the Oscars, some Alamo draft houses are reopening up. And then we're going to talk about that Citizen Kane controversy that's occurring right now on Rotten Tomatoes a little later in the show as well. Um, and then of course, just like every week, we're going to let you know what to expect from streaming services this week. That way, if you're ever bored, you can hop on, listen to our podcast, and we'll give you some recommendations as to what's new. Um, other than that, Linda, how have you been? It's been hot outside. Very hot. I've been working outside and it's hot out. Yeah. And, uh, if I'm really if I'm hot, I get really cranky. If I get up early, I'm really cranky. <laughs> Basically, if I do something I don't want to do, I get really cranky. <laughs> but no, so like when it's really hot out, I have to like apologize to anyone I'm around ahead of time because I'm like, I'm gonna turn into a real bitch here soon. I am so sorry. I'm just really hot. <laughs> Cause when you get hot, you feel so suffocated and you feel like really gross and sticky and sweaty. Yeah. I don't like feeling really gross and sticky and sweaty, so it makes me really upset that I am gross and sticky and sweaty. Um, So, yeah, no, I've been working outside a lot, and I've been, like, trying to, like, watch myself. So I'm like, you know, you got to get that customer service face on. Mm -hmm. No, you're not feeling it because you're melting, but you'll be good. And then I, like, slam the door when I head inside, like, don't touch me, guys. But it's fine. I'm fine. It's fine. It's I just had that really happen. <laughs> I had that happen last night because, like, for whatever reason, I like at two a.m. I'm like getting off of work and I'm leaving and I'm and I'm like, oh my god, it's still like eighty degrees out. So like, mm-hmm. I took my suit jacket off and I rolled up my sleeves and my windows were all down on the way home. And I was like, is this 
for real. Like, um, I like it. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm glad that we're, you know, in some nicer weather and things are looking up. Technically, Linda, I'll be fully vaccinated on Thursday. On Done. Thursday? Dunzo. Dunzo, fully vaccinated. Two weeks in, everything. Done. Nice. Up to 95% effective against COVID-19. Pfizer shot. So um, I am so excited just because I, f- I feel like, I mean, obviously there are talks of like booster shots and everything. So I'll probably go back and get, you know, one or two more depending on how that rolls out. But um, as of right now, like I'm, I'm good. I'm golden. Well, good for you. I know. So you wow. know what that means. You know what that means? No mask when I'm outside and walking around. No mask. No mask for me. Won't do it. Um, Will you you still respect other restaurants' regulations on the mask mandate, though? No, I won't. Yeah, yeah, of course I will. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. obviously, like, I don't, I'm not in public places like that, like, anywhere indoors. Anywhere indoors or in crowded outdoor areas, like, I'll still wear my mask. But if I'm walking on the side of the street or if I'm going to run my trash out, I'm not wearing my mask. Like, I... A, I usually run the trash out like way late at night, so no one's even out anyway. B, in the hallways of my apartment complex, there the hallways are so big that you can mm-hmm. almost get six feet apart just by walking on separate ends of them. So like, no, not really. It's like three feet. It's like half. But uh, so I've been to if, his apartment. He's being dramatic. But if you but if you hold your breath while you pass them, like. <gasps> And then you hold your breath as you walk past them. I feel like, I feel like that stops COVID, right? <laughs> no, be safe, everyone. Um, wear if your you mask hold your still. breath, we can all stop COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I feel like I that's some bad public that worked, health advice. But, Holy know. shit! I might have to edit this out because, wow. <laughs> Clearly, I'm being satirical. Just want to make that clear. You can never tell with you, to be honest. You always sound satirical. Yeah, I know. But, I try yeah. and differentiate it. It doesn't always work. No, um, not really. But uh, why don't we get talking about the news now? There's actually a lot to cover and usually what we would do is we would pick one or two of these stories and kind of talk about them, you know, more in depth. But because um, we don't have anything to really review this week as far as films go uh, or any TV shows or anything, we're going to go ahead and just try and cover it all. So we're going to come right back after the news reel and then we are going to discuss some Oscars. So stay tuned. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. And Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your first recording. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. We use Buzzsprout and can attest that it is a cakewalk compared to some of the other hosting platforms that we've used. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. 
So what are you waiting for? Grab your gear that you already have, and then find a quiet space to record and talk about all your favorite things. Following the link in the show notes, let's Buzzsprout know that we sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support our show. We can't wait to hear your passion. And now for your last week's news update. Rick Porter of The Hollywood Reporter writes, TV Ratings Oscars slumped to all-time low. ABC's broadcast joins a host of other award shows in falling by a large amount from past years. The 93rd Academy Awards drew 10.4 million viewers and a 2.12 rating among adults 18 to 49 on Sunday. That's a steep drop from last year's 23.64 million viewers and 5.3 in the key ad demographic, both of which were the previous all-time lows. The 56% decline in total viewers is in keeping with those from the Grammys, which fell by 51%, and the Golden Globes by 62% in the recent months. The Oscars also held on their usual spot as the most watched award show, though for the second year straight, the Grammys had the higher 18 to 49 rating at a 2.28. Lee Fang in The Intercept writes, Hollywood lobbyists intervene against proposal to share vaccine technology. While the drug industry is the most visible special interest group fighting a World Trade Organization proposal to temporarily suspend certain intellectual property rights, it isn't the only one. Many industries across the U.S. have expressed alarm over the proposed waiver, which was put forth by a coalition of over 100 countries led by India and South Africa, and would waive intellectual property rules in order to boost production of vaccines, medical products, and research toward ending the COVID-19 pandemic. This might seem irrelevant to Hollywood, major publishing companies, and the music industry, but recently released disclosures show that these sectors have mobilized lobbyists to raise concerns with the waiver proposal. The Motion Picture Association, or MPA, which represents major movie and television studios, deployed five lobbyists to influence Congress and the White House over the waiver. Industry sources say the lobbyists are concerned that the waiver will be too broad in scope and could open the door for increased piracy. But the copyright industry push relates to a provision of the proposal that would waive copyright enforcement for, quote, the prevention, containment, and treatment of COVID-19. The MPA and AAP did not provide comments to The Intercept. Zach Scharf of IndieWire writes, Citizen Kane loses its perfect Rotten Tomatoes score after a 1941 negative review resurfaces. The film's perfect score was broken last month after Rotten Tomatoes added a negative review published by the Chicago Tribune almost 80 years ago on May 7, 1941. The 80-year-old review was the 116th review added to the Citizen Kane Rotten Tomatoes page. The Chicago Tribune's negative Citizen Kane review was published under the pseudonym May Teeny and accompanied with a headline, Citizen Kane fails to impress critic as greatest ever filmed. The review was originally published a few days after Citizen Kane first started rolling out in theaters in 1941. The critic branded the movie a flop and wrote the film's noir-inspired visuals and use of shadows, quote, gives one the creeps. It's interesting, May said. It's different. In fact, it's bizarre enough to become a museum piece. 
As part of the Rotten Tomatoes archival project led by review curation manager Tim Ryan, Rotten Tomatoes also collected reviews for 100 lost films. It estimates that between 75 and 90% of films made before 1929 are either lost or only exist in incomplete form. And that concludes your last week's news update. If you would like to support The Borough Reviews or the Into the Borough podcast, please consider subscribing to our Patreon campaign. Our Patreon offers four distinct memberships. Candyman, a $1 a month tier to show your general support for what we do. It follows a $2 a month tier that will grant you early access to our videos before they release on YouTube. Hereditary, a $5 a month tier with exclusive podcast discussions and member-only polls so you control what content we focus on each month. And finally, Trick or Treat, a $10 a month tier where you'll get exclusive videos, behind-the-scene content, and all of the other tier perks combined. During these times, it is crucial for us to remain stable, and with your help, we can get there. Head over to patreon.com slash Reviews to sign up. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone, from the break. Let's talk about some of the Oscar winners uh, from last week's ceremony. So we didn't get around to it because we record, unfortunately, on the day that the Oscars premiered. So we're covering it this week. But uh, let me just start by saying Nomadland took probably the biggest awards it did in fact it led the awards um at the 93rd oscar ceremony winning three of the six prizes the film was nominated for including best picture um so chloe Zhao is uh now as far as the 93rd oscars go the best director uh for this year and um it's important because she is only the second woman and the first woman of color to win that award for best director. So um, something, a side note that I saw earlier this week too, is uh, she when she was having discussions with Kevin Feige, um, the uh, you know head of Marvel, she was talking about um, how she wanted to shoot uh, on, you know, practical sets on practical locations mm-hmm. as far as the Eternals go, uh, which is premiering later this year, I think in November. And, um, you know, she was really fighting for like practical locations. So she actually put together a sample reel for Kevin Feige and showed him like what, what we could do with practical locations instead of shooting everything, you know, um, on soundstage. And, um, apparently he was really impressed with that. And so Eternals is, is going to be interesting for Marvel because they're shooting a lot of it on location which normally isn't the case for these kind of big tentpole like superhero movies. So, um, yeah, side note, uh, and her, her little like, um, speech that they, that they gave, uh, for all the directors, all the directors had like, um, basically a quote, like if you could define, you know, directing, uh, in this way, how would you define it? And her little reel that was put together was so beautiful, the way she talked about, you know, what directing means and stuff. And that was, that was, I think before she won that award, maybe it was after it was before it was right before. Um, And like, just 
as far as directors go, she is amazing just from what I've seen on Nomadland, but also like the way that she like carries herself and presents herself. She's very humbled. She doesn't really come off as as pretentious or, you know, you know, like some directors do like David Fincher's quote, like David Fincher's quote uh, for Mank. It was kind of like, uh, okay, okay, I guess. And then hers just felt so like human and like grounded and his felt like pretentious film snob. And like you could, it, it was a very clear difference. And I'm not dissing David Fincher, by the way, for anyone wa- watching or listening. I'm, I'm not. I like mm-hmm. David Fincher. But mm-hmm. um, I just think that she is a very, a very charismatic and also deeply like grounded person in reality like i remember watching the golden globes and she was literally at home in a in a hoodie like accepting her awards from the golden golden globes so it's like she's like the most down-to-earth person so little side note of the oscars um i'm really glad to see her win um but steven Soderbergh directed um or rather produced the way that the Oscars were presented this year. And you could Mm -hmm. really tell it had more of a fluid motion in kind of the presentation. Uh, It was shot outside of LA's Union Station. Um, So there was no live audience portion to it, which I thought that they were kind of going for. It looked kind of like um, like a classy restaurant, almost like a multi-level classy restaurant. Uh, They shot it really nicely. It looked really good. Like as far as staging goes and every, you know, every presentation, I would, I would say that this is one of the most memorable ones. And even as far as the format goes, there were very few like clips or acting reels um, or directing reels, you know, at all from any of the films. And they instead opted to really tell more about the filmmakers and give little facts and trivia about the people that are being presented with the award. Um, so they chose to kind of go for this m- more human element to mm-hmm. the Oscars and really humanize the people that are both giving and accepting these awards. And a lot of it really worked. I think for the first two thirds of the show, I was so on board with what was going on. And then they put the best director award way at the front. And normally how how it goes, you have best director, you know, best actor, best actress, and then best picture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this year they did it all out of whack. Um, so that you had you had best director first, and then you had um I think best leading actress, and then you had best picture, and then you had best actor to end on. Um, and there was a very clear reason. And I, as much as the Academy can say th- they didn't do it this way because of this, um, I don't think anyone believes you. And I'm not going to like present this information to you that way that they're saying. Um, they're saying it's not because they wanted to honor Chadwick Boseman and have that final like gut punch at the end if he did win. You know, um, but it, it was because of that. Because instead of having this this huge long thing, and the fact that best director and best picture were separated, um, it kind of lessened the impact of like Chloe Zhao as far as like TV presentation. It lessens that kind of cathartic like impact, that wow factor 
um, from it all by separating those two out so far, but then also ending on best actor who you would presume the Academy obviously did that Chadwick Boseman was going to be post, you know, humusly accepted uh, or nominated for that award. Um, but he wasn't. And so what ended up happening was Anthony Hopkins was nominated for his role in the father and it's, he was in Wales and it's 4am where he is and they didn't let him zoom in. So he's not even there to accept the award. So then they just end on this weird note and like, literally he like, he gets announced to be the winner. And then I kid you not like immediately after that, it's done. It's over. So it like the, the flow of the show was working really well up until they changed that, that ending, that four final like film stretch there. When Mm -hmm. they changed that, it kind of lessened the impact of everything. But I don't want to, I don't want to let that discourage from like all the other wins that we had, because we did have a lot of wins. Um, And I know that you weren't able to see like the full presentation, but when you hear that they kind of move things around like that, um, just, just when you hear that, do you think it was the right decision to try and spice it up a little bit? Or do you think that they should have maybe just stuck with what they were doing, which is less reels, less clips and more people focused. And they were like having interactive games and stuff too. It, it was a whole lot of fun. Um, but do you think that maybe switching the formats was the right bet? Or do you think that they should have just switched the style and presentation, which is what they were doing to begin with? Um, I like the idea that they were trying to make it a little bit more intimate for the audience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, to, to kind of humanize everyone that have worked on these films and, you know, worked really hard to get where they are. Um, I like that idea. And I feel like if people had known that that's how the Oscars were going to be this year, I think they would have had a lot more viewers tune in. Because I think that is, like, the biggest problem with the Oscars. You know, it's, like, the same thing every year. Mm-hmm. And once something like that gets super stagnant, of course, people aren't going to, you know, want to watch it as much. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I don't – I don't – I I'm sure I would have felt differently if I had actually watched it. But just from, like, you know, when it just sounds like, oh, they just kind of switched a few things around, it doesn't sound that, that – that big of a deal but i'm sure if i had watched it and you know kind of saw what you were talking about um i probably would have felt a little bit more different but i mean Mm -hmm. i i like that they try to do something new this year hearing that it kind of makes me wish that i had watched it but i think it worked really well actually like i said other than the category shuffle um, I really do think that this year was probably the strongest presentation that they've had in a long time. And it's just unfortunate that, you know, they tried to basically backload the best actor category to try in the in the in the off chance that Chadwick Boseman wins that award. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not something to bet on, especially because like what happens if he would have won? People then would have been like, did the Academy rig this whole thing leading up until best actor just to award Chadwick Boseman or did people actually vote for that or did they just pick him? It would have caused confusion. It would have looked like a cash grab. It would have looked like a cash grab, which is why I'm, I'm very confused at why they did it anyway, because it's kind of damned if you do damned if you don't. Right. Um, So it's a little weird, but um, 
presentation aside, we can talk about some of the bigger winners. So as predicted, Nomadland did win for best picture. Uh, no surprise to anyone. This kind of was the clear winner, especially after the BAFTAs, especially after the SAG Awards um, and the Golden Globes too. I think it was very obvious that Nomadland was going to be the film to kind of sweep all these big categories. Um, like I said, the upset that did happen, if you want to call it an upset, um, is Anthony Hopkins in The Father. And it's not really an upset because he does give probably, um, from what I understand, he gives a career best performance in that film. So it makes sense. Um, And then for best actress, we had Frances McDormand in Nomadland. Again, pretty obvious winner. She's now up to three best actress wins. Uh, Fargo, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is an amazing film. Fargo too. Uh, And then Nomadland now. So she's up to three, which is really good um, for her. And then obviously we talked about it already. Chloe Zhao in Nomadland. Um, and then we can kind of talk about, uh, the, uh, best adapted screenplay and the regular original screenplay. So promising young woman, um, which was kind of a surprise for original screenplay, to be honest with you, you know, first time feature director, uh, Emerald Fennel, and she, she won for best original screenplay for promising young woman. It was her first script and her first directing like feature experience. So good nice. for her hell of an yeah. accomplishment on your first outing. Um, yeah. So I really do want to check that movie out now. And then the father won for best adapted screenplay. Um, best cinematography went to Mank. This one I was kind of surprised about. Um, and the reason I was surprised about it was because I really thought we were going to go with Nomadland. Um, I like, I really thought Nomadland was going to pick up that category, but then when you look back on Mank, you're like, but that makes sense. Mank right? had a hell of a period piece. Yeah. Went and, to it and yeah, the sweeping shots, the, the, the motion that was put into that. I remember that one tracking shot that we get with Mank when he's going through the film set in a, you know, about the middle of the film, um, you know, and then he, he gets on the, like the cart and then you know he's walking through the sound stage and like and like it makes total sense um how man could have gotten that award uh but it Mm -hmm. did screw up my um oscar pool a little bit but that's okay uh ma rainey's black bottom swept in the makeup and costume departments um you know ma rainey's black bottom won both uh best makeup and hairstyling and best costume design Best film editing went to Sound of Metal, as did Best Sound. Um, I kind no, of, I kind of put that down for both. Um, I I halfway expected that, and I'm glad that Sound of Metal got something on there. Did you Did you see something? No, no. Oh, okay. Oh, you were thinking something. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I got these cameras. They're just you know. <laughs> yeah, the they make it really hard to think stuff. <laughs> They do. Um, I'll tell you about it when the cameras. Okay. <laughs> uh, if anything happens, I love you. One best animated short and two distant, two distant strangers. One best live action short. That one had some controversy surrounding it, and I'm not going to get into it right now on the show. But two distant strangers definitely was a film that I saw a lot of discussion on online, and a lot of it was bad. Some of it was good. Um, but I, you know. No matter what, at least if anything happens, I love you was um, 
was selected. I don't know if you had the chance to check that out on Netflix. We watched it, I want to say, a couple of months ago on Netflix. It's just a little short film, animated. Um, really sad, but it really speaks to the times with gun violence and mass shootings. Oh, and yeah. so, um, you know, I, I do think that it is well-deserved for sure. Best visual effects went to Tenet. Um, I shouldn't be surprised that category usually goes to some of those bigger bigger budget films, you know, blockbuster films. So I didn't select Tenet on that one in my pool, but I probably should have. Um, I thought Mulan was going to get it just because I, I, I don't know. I When that film came out earlier this year, that was a lot of the discussion was the visual effects are so good. You know, the, the fight choreography, everything's done so well. So I thought that maybe they would give it to Mulan and not Tenet, but they gave it to Tenet. So um, that's fine. And then the last two that we really should probably touch on is um, supporting actor and supporting actress. So Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah one. I had put uh, Lakeith Stanfield down just because Lakeith, from what I understand in that movie, was the lead. But Daniel Kaluuya just turned out such an amazing performance that, you know, I guess he couldn't be passed up. Nope. Um, and then for best supporting actress, um, you have Ye Jung Ma- uh, Yaon from Minari. And, uh, again, I kind of halfway expected that just because the, the people that had watched Minari talked about her performance, um, ad nauseum for the last like month. And, uh, apparently like, it's just, uh, she plays kind of that stern, like grandmother figure. And the interactions that she has with Steven Young's character, um, like his character's son, uh, apparently those interactions are so profound and moving that, um, you know, everyone was like gushing over her performance in the film. Aww. So I'm really glad to see her win. And her her acceptance speech of the award was was so endearing. Um, there was kind of some confusion, though, because it seemed like almost she was like hitting on Brad Pitt. <laughs> Brad Pitt was one of the producers from from Minari. And apparently at one point there were some production issues uh on her end and she was trying to get help and she reached out to Brad Pitt and to you know the producers and no one got back to her. So while everyone like was reading her speech even I as she, like she was flirting with Brad Pitt almost it kind of seems like there's some bad blood there actually um which is is a little interesting to me because how everyone was reporting it was like oh my god like she's flirting with brad pitt it's this whole thing but then you you know you read into the subtext of it and again i don't know the full detail i just saw this um from a reporter on twitter talking about it um, and then everyone in the like post, you know, Oscars like interview pool was like asking her about Brad Pitt, like how was it holding like his arm, like all the all these you know random Brad Pitt questions, and she started like visibly and audibly like sighing every time they would ask about Brad Pitt because she was just so tired of talking about it at that point. But um, yeah. aren't we all tired of talking about Brad Pitt? A little bit. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm happy for her. Uh, she deserved it. If you know, if I had my perfect world, I would have probably 
I would have still wanted her to get the award, but I also would have wanted Amanda, Amanda Seyfried just to get a little recognition for Mank. See, she it did. made me feel bad because it's like, I'm, I don't think that she didn't deserve to win. It was just the fact that I loved Amanda Seyfried's performance in Mank that I kind of, that I, that I did wish that she got the recognition that she deserved for that. Yeah. Um, and again, I, my, I think who I projected to win was Glenn Close. Um, uh, but you know, Glenn Close is good in everything. Exactly. Uh, she's the Academy favorite. And so that's kind of why I was like, and she hasn't won anything. She, I don't think she's, has Glenn Close even won an Oscar? Maybe we all just assume she has already. Uh, no, she's been a nominee. She has never, she's never won. Glenn Close. No. She's won Tony three Tony Awards and three Emmys. She doesn't have an Oscar. She's, She's been nominated. Won some Tonys. Nice. Mm-hmm. She did. Um, they were. They did. Like I said, they did a segment where they were walking around, basically playing games with people, and they were like, um, "Guess the song and the year, and is it like a a, a an Academy Award winning song, basically." Mm-hmm. And uh, they were doing that segment and they were walking around asking people and they ended up on her. And um, unlike the last, like they asked Daniel Kaluuya and I think one or two people, um, one or two others. And um, and Daniel Kaluuya didn't know the answer and he didn't get like, he didn't get, you know, whether or not it was an Oscar nominated or uh, Academy Award winning song. And they get to Glenn Close and it's debut, and she's like, she like gets up and she does debut dance and she does like everything. She names the song, says what year it was from and that it was an Oscar like winner. And like everyone was shook. I kid you not, Linda, go, go watch that clip because it is kind of endearing almost. Uh, she should have gotten an award just for that. Um, because, because, um, they were like basically trying to get people to like, you know, get up and like dance and do things. And, and she was game for it and she knew the dance and everything. It was just, it was hilarious because you wouldn't expect her to know that song or the dance. And she knew exactly what she was doing. So God bless Glenn close. I know. Um, I think we can also probably talk about the ratings now. Um, Okay, um, so, you know, this year, all the award shows have been down on ratings, right? This isn't anything new. Right. Um, we do have an ast- basically a, a historic all-time low for the 93rd Academy Awards. It drew in 10.4 million viewers and uh, 2.12 rating among adults 18 to 49 on Sunday. Um, and... Uh, this is a 50% six, actually, excuse me. It's a 56% decline, um, in total viewers in keeping with those for the Grammys, which fell by 51% and the golden globes by 62%. Um, in the 18 to 49 demo, the Oscars were down by 60% also in line with other award shows. Um, Despite the low numbers compared to past Oscars, Sunday's broadcast drew ABC's biggest total audience in at least six. Um, the NBA Finals game in October came in at $8.89 million. Uh, the Oscars also held on their usual spot as the most watched award show 
though for the second straight year, the Grammys had a higher 18 to 49 rating, 2.28. So let's just say that the other Oscars, this article really doesn't lay out, you know, the comparison to the other shows. Typically, you're sitting in the 30 to 40 million range for viewers, and we are down to 10. Um, it's a big decline, big decline. Oh yeah. But it's to be expected like with any other award show. It did have a higher rating though, in terms of viewership decline than say the Grammys did. Um, and I'm trying to find a reason for that. I don't know. I guess I don't know if the Grammys are usually, um, you know, I don't know if they usually have a bigger rating or a bigger audience than the Oscars do. I, I wouldn't think so, but maybe. Um, it's a little weird to see the Grammys have just a tad more than the Oscars. Um, in terms of, yeah. like, viewership decline, not being so, I guess, not being so intense. But, I don't know, when you see... Um, when you see these numbers, like for instance, last year we had 23.64 million viewers. Um, and this year, you know, it's about a little over half that. Do you think that maybe next year they are going to completely change it up? Do you think they're going to keep going in the direction of maybe switching up the presentation style and just see what comes out of next year? Or do you think that they are going to make a major change and perhaps maybe are the Oscars outdated? Oh, um, I don't think the Oscars are outdated. It's definitely a timeless thing to do. Um, it's tradition. Plus, you know, exactly. It's tradition. Plus, in 2028, we're going to have the 100th Oscars. And I feel like that's going to be mind-blowing. I've actually always wanted to go to the Oscars. I don't care about being nominated for anything. I just want to be dressed in a pretty gown and eat dinner with a bunch of celebrities while they get awards yeah um i'm a simple woman so you know yeah <laughs> um but no i think yeah it it may just be because it's just a little bit stagnant you know they they do the same things every year and i think it wouldn't hurt them to change it up um from what you said earlier it sounds like with what they did this year there is a good chance that they would have a bigger turnout next year if they keep doing it or you know if they keep trying new things it, it, I, I can't imagine why the grammys would have more viewership than the oscars i think that's kind of weird just because with even though I don't know a whole lot of people that watch the Oscars or, you know, host Oscar parties, I can think of even less people that watch the Grammys. Mm-hmm. So, I don't yeah. know. For me, it's just a little strange. But as sad as it is to see the ratings go down for the Oscars, I'm a firm believer that we're never going to stop having the Oscars. I just think it's a matter of keeping with the times. And just making sure that you're, you know, updating how you do it just to kind of keep the audience's attention. Mm -hmm. I think a similar format without the category changes. So what we did this year, maybe with a little bit more acting clips and um, because the pace of the show was really fast, really fast, really fast. And then it just slowed way down. And like, I feel like if we have a consistent pace with that new kind of... um, 
fluid kind of motion in terms of production. Um, cause the Oscars have always been very stiff, you know, and this year it really didn't feel stiff at all. And I, I applaud them for trying that new format and really going for that different unique presentation style that kind of led to that more fluid interpretation. And like, honestly, like if they just keep that, they move the categories back to where they should be so that you still kind of know what to expect, maybe throw a few surprising things in. I don't think you should move the last four. The last four being best director, you know, best actress, best actor, and best picture. I don't think those categories should move. And if you do move them, you need to make sure that they are aligned with how the, um, maybe how the Academy voted. So I don't know if that means pushing the Oscars to a later date in the year so that you have enough time to kind of plan out, you know, how the awards are going to be, you know, presented. Um, Cause I, I don't know. I would assume that the producers of the show have to kind of know what's going on. Maybe they don't, maybe no one knows, but I highly doubt that. So anyway, I think that is all for our Oscars discussion. Um, Now, Linda, why don't we talk about something that is a little bit more interesting? And I think interesting is the right word here, because um, like I mentioned early on, Hollywood is lobbying against a proposal that would share the vaccine technology with the World Trade Organization so that other countries are able to produce, um, you know, the amount of vaccines that they need to really battle this pandemic and um, come out strong. But the proposed waiver that is being um, put out and, you know, pushed by lawmakers, it was put forth by a coalition of over 100 countries led by India and South Africa. It would essentially waive intellectual property rules in order to boost production of vaccines. So basically, it's taking the patent off of the vaccine and, you know, COVID-related Um, production. And it would make it so that they would be able to produce the same vaccines that we're receiving here at record numbers and record pace. And Hollywood doesn't want it. And it might seem a little confusing to everyone as to why they would be stepping in, but it, it has to do with those intellectual property rights. Mm -hmm. They are trying to prevent a situation where eventually down the road, because the precedent has already been set here, that we waived intellectual property rights. They're thinking in the future. They're not They're not purposefully going out to try and prevent people from getting vaccines here. But what they are doing is that they're trying to put up some roadblocks so that um, – so that the matter of intellectual property is taken more seriously, even though I think this is an instance where I'm not on the side of the Hollywood lobbyists at all. Like, no, screw you, dude. Like, we're, we're going to waive those intellectual property rights and those other countries are going to get the vaccines that they need. Um, and They're I don't really worried. care. I don't yeah. really care about your feelings. This isn't, a, this isn't like one of those instances where it's like – I feel like they're justified. However, I do have to recognize that they're worried about a potential situation in which their intellectual property rights are infringed upon. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what's going on here. It's a little bit more intricate than that, but that kind of sums it up nicely. Um, 
when you like read that article, when you read about kind of what's going on with the Hollywood lobbyists, do you think they're in the right or do you think they, they should probably just step aside this one time? So from my understanding, it looks like basically they're worried about if we waive the intellectual property rights, then sometime down the road, we're going to have an increased issue with piracy crime. Mm hmm. I get the concern, but I feel like it's not an appropriate concern to have at this time when we have a dangerous virus. Uh, I understand that piracy is an issue and it takes money away from Hollywood. I get that. But at the same time, it's a dangerous virus that we have a vaccine for that other countries need. And that's something that drives me nuts mm -hmm. when it comes to stuff like this like you know how everyone's all like oh we have to help our fellow neighbor and once we have the ability to help them people are like no it's ours that's it's like, the american logic right yeah there. it's it's and it's, it drives me fucking nuts it's almost uniquely american where we're like no just screw everyone else like we're the only people that matter we're like um, the spoiled younger sibling that's like, you can't be mean to me. You know, what happened to protect your neighbor? What happened to look out for your fellow brother? And then once something doesn't go their way, they're like, no, screw you. This is mine. I have it. You guys can't have it. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't come up with this. We did. So, you know, screw you. You should have come up with the first. I know. Um, and <laughs> it's, it's so childish. And it honestly, is. Um, so this isn't, I just want to be clear, this also isn't just the MPA, the Motion Picture Association, or Hollywood lobbyists. This is also the music industry that is also coming to battle with this. So the waiver um, has a, a specific um, provision in it that states uh, that copyright enforcement um, would be waived for, quote, the prevention, containment, and treatment of COVID-19. However, the Motion Picture Association and AAP did not provide comments to The Intercept, which is the article that we're referencing here, regarding um, that waiver. Because basically their argument is it's too broad. The waiver, the, the, the language in the provision is too broad. But it says specifically right there in the provision that it is for the containment and treatment of COVID-19. So what are you talking about? It's too broad. And then when all these news organizations, you know, went out to try and get additional comments from them being like, hey, can you maybe can you point out to us like what else you're talking about? That's too broad there that maybe, you know, we should reshape and re reword so that it's not so broad. They declined mm -hmm. to comment. And it's like, OK, well, then, no, if you don't want to provide feedback and you don't want to you don't want to assist in be a good faith actor and be honest and upfront about what your intentions are, then screw you. Like, I don't really care about your feelings. This isn't a moment where lobbyists should have anything to do with anything that's going on. No, um, this is a world health crisis. This is not, um, this is not cause for them to step in at all. And I thought it would be really interesting to talk about just because this is kind of something that not a lot of like film people are talking about obviously like um you know i saw some articles that were like kind of small and and whatnot this is the intercepts reporting um and if you're not familiar with the intercept they do really good um independent you know journalism and the intercept is like laying everything out and i encourage you to go out and read the intercept report itself because it is 
way more extensive than any of the mainstream Hollywood like trades and online publications um, are reporting this. Cause like I saw something, I think in THR or something, don't quote me exactly, but it was like, I, I kid you not. It was like three paragraphs maybe of them talking about this. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're helping them. You're helping them try and stop something that is going to help us all. You know, I just, I just think it's a unnecessary, selfish behavior that needs to be set aside so then we can get the COVID vaccine. So then COVID will just, you know, be diminished. But I guess we only want that on our own time. Yeah. Um, so a person for the recording industry said, like others in the creative community, we strongly support the world's efforts to defeat this pandemic, including aggressive efforts to bring the vaccine to undeserved populations as originally drafted. However, the proposed waiver would have extended to wholly unrelated areas that have nothing to do with the global fight against COVID like copyright and creative works. Okay, dude, whatever. Uh, We don't believe the added language seeking to waive copyright on things like music and other creative content was what those originally advocating for a TRIPS vaccine waiver ever intended. And when asked, our views have explained the harm this could do to songwriters, artists, and other creatives who have faced massive economic challenges during the pandemic. And then they're trying to leverage the artists like on the, the actual pandemic. It's like, like, you're really, you're really going for it. Like you're out there. Um, So this I just wanted to cover mainly just so that you could kind of see what was going on behind the scenes. This isn't something we usually talk about. It's um, a little bit more political, but it directly relates to the industry uh, that we cover here weekly on the podcast for you. And it also shows you kind of where our interests as a country lie, um, how easy it is for lobbyists of, you know, all the big major industries to try and go influence legislation in Congress, I think is always an important point to bring up when talking about things like this, especially when we're in a global health crisis. So, all right. Uh, the other piece of um, news that we have is Alamo Drafthouse is reopening, um, including the Alamo Drafthouse in Los Angeles, Dallas, Brooklyn, and the one in Omaha. Those so, were the ones that had to close down. Yeah, yeah. Um, This is good. Uh, This is good Mm -hmm. news for the Alamo Draft House as they just filed Chapter 11 and went through a whole restructuring process where they closed some chains down. Um, Matthew McConaughey, this article in Slash Film starts off with Matthew McConaughey's promise, quote, that the big screen is back is coming true. Alamo Draft House. Um, whose South Lamar location in Austin was the backdrop for McConaughey's movie-going PSA during the Oscar telecast, is reopening 15 of its locations this summer. Um, Starting with the May reopening of its Brooklyn and Los Angeles locations, Alamo Drafthouse is launching a major reopening of its theaters this summer. Um, So this is happening this month. Um, Like the Brooklyn Alamo Drafthouse is opening May 7th, the L.A., and Austin Alamo Draft House are opening May 28th. And I think that the one here in Omaha is opening up on the 28th as well for a quiet place. So um, it's a good sign anyway mm-hmm. that um, maybe they will make it out of this after all. Although we thought that yeah. and then, you know, like the cinema, the Cinedome and the uh, the Arclight Cinema in Hollywood 
got permanently closed down and those are historic theaters in LA. And that happened a few weeks ago. We didn't talk about it, but um, you know, just when we thought everyone was clear, you know, it, it uh, took two more. So to see that, you know, we're opening back up and we're, we're getting back up there again is a good thing. Um, I will say the Alamo, I see that Mm -hmm. it was not going to go down without a fight and it won. Uh, It did win. Um, So hopefully coming out of this, like, you know, there's kind of this resurgence. I will say that um, people are very eager to go back Um, just from personal experience now. Like it is um, it is picking up a little bit, which is good. Good for the industry. Good for good for everyone that we can actually go watch our movies in the theater again. Don't have to sit on our couch 24 seven to watch things, which I love for some things, you know. Some things watching on streaming is just superior. Other things like Godzilla vs. Kong, I'm going to go see it in the movie theater. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. you. So you've been to the Alamo in Omaha once. Yeah, you took me to my first yes. experience. Suspiria. We went to see Suspiria. Suspiria. Um, Eating yeah, fried Luca- pickles and mm-hmm. watching Suspiria. Yep. Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria, the 2018 one. Um yeah, no, the Alamo just has such a special place in my heart. I'm kind of sad that we don't it get is. one here. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. Just because, I mean, and they have their beer selection is actually decent, at least the one in Omaha. So, like, going there, you grab yourself a beer. It's not like not like your Miller's or, you know, your Coors Light or anything like that. That's kind of basic. They have a better selection. So, if you're the type of person that likes drinking when you go to the movies, like, they're definitely the place to go. Um, Although I'll I'll say that I usually don't drink when I go to theaters at all. Do you? Uh, no, but I do remember when we watched scary movies to t- uh, tell in the dark, and we both got drinks at the bar. Mm. That kind of made that really fun. Actually. It did. It did. I think <laughs> we were both like super giggly. We're like, <laughs> I, I, we sh- we probably should have gotten drinks for uh, Chucky too. Oh my god, we should have. Holy because like, um, I think that would have been ten times more enjoyable. Also, probably, yeah, any movie like that going forward, we probably should just get drinks first. We should probably just (laughs) imagine our reviews like, yeah, we were drinking. We don't, we don't know what happened. Look, one drink ain't gonna kill anyone. It's just gonna make the review more fun, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yep, if you're near an Alamo Draft House, go ahead and um, check uh, the current listings. Some tickets are going on sale later this month, so be on the lookout for that. Um, if you're fully vaccinated, and you're being safe, and you're not going to the busy show times, um, I think it's totally fine for you to, to go experience the movies again. Just be safe, wear your mask, and uh, yeah, do your part. The last thing that we have on the docket, Linda... Is Citizen Kane losing its perfect Rotten Tomatoes score after a 1941 negative review resurfaces? So Rotten Tomatoes does this from the archives thing. Um, I think it's called Rotten Tomato Archived or something. And uh, basically they have been adding like some older reviews that have been, you know, lost to time um, on the site. And so it happened with Citizen Kane, which caught everyone's attention when a review from 1941 resurfaced. It called um, Citizen Kane a flop um, and that it also, quote, gives one the creeps. (laughs) So this person, this reviewer, it's uh, from the Chicago Tribune. It was published under a pseudonym, uh, May Teeny. 
I would say is how you would say that, Maytini, and accompanied with the headline, Citizen Kane fails to impress critic as greatest ever filmed. Uh, <laughs> called it a flop, like I said, gives one the creeps. Um, it's interesting. It's different. In fact, it's bizarre enough to become a museum piece, the review reads, but it's sacrifice of simplicity to a citrus, um, to eccentricity robs of its dix, uh, distinction and general entertainment value. So it's not eccentric enough, basically, for this reviewer. Um, although it could still be a museum piece. Um, it's kind of conflicting a little bit here it and there. It is, yeah. But uh, I think it's hilarious because basically now the highest reviewed film on Rotten Tomatoes is Paddington 2. And <laughs> that's even more funny to me that Citizen Kane lost out to Paddington 2. I haven't seen Paddington at all, the first or the second, but I hear it's a really good film. So I guess at least it went to something that's well-liked. Well, do you think this critic would have enjoyed Paddington 2 mm. over Citizen Kane? I think that's the real question here. I do hear that Paddington's very eccentric, so it's very possible. Do you think it's bizarre enough to be in a museum? Probably. I mean, that bear th- kind of gives me the creeps, to be honest with you. <laughs> Does the Paddington bear not give you creeps? Oh, my God. The marmalade. Marmalade. <laughs> Come on, Linda. Go watch the trailer and tell me that that Paddington bear does not give you the creeps. It does. Look it up here real quick. Paddington 2. Um, I honestly do not think much, if anything, of Paddington. I I always thought people just, like, talked about it, like, ironically. But to know that it now has a higher score. It bugs me that it has a higher score than Shrek. I know people have genuine love for Shrek. And then, you know... Then to put it up against padding, I, I don't know. I feel like Shrek should be higher up. So just for reference, um, as part of the Rotten Tomatoes archival process led by review curation manager Tim Ryan, Rotten Tomatoes also collected reviews for um, 100 lost films. Um, it is estimated that between 75 and 90 percent of films made before 1929 are either lost or only exist in incomplete form. So um, this archival process is really trying to just shed light on kind of the time and really give you a sense of kind of what the general consensus was, you know, as far as critics go back in the day um, with some of the older projects. And uh, I think it's a really important job, actually, the archival process. So I'm glad that they're at least doing it. But don't be surprised if we see this pop up for some other beloved originals. Um that came out way back in the day. So did you find it? I, I yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Sounds- <laughs> I know the trailers are so bad. They're so bad, but apparently it's a good film. So, well, just the, the plot for it, like Paddington now happily settled with the Brown family and a popular member of the local community, picks up a series of odd jobs to buy the perfect present for his Aunt Lucy, also a bear's 100th birthday, only for the gift to be stolen. Mm. Kind of sounds like uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but with a bear. I could and, see. Yeah. And it has a 7.8 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. Am I really missing something here? On Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb? IMDb. Ah. I don't well, it like has a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, Paddington like Two does. I don't know about Paddington One. Oh, this is Paddington Two. Um, well, 
Jeez. Sorry. <laughs> I Phone can hear it. Up. I could hear it. Like, turn it out of nowhere. Uh. Oh, God. Okay. So I'm freshly deaf. But what what's the first Paddington about? I have no idea. A young Peruvian bear travels to London in search of a home, finding himself lost and alone at Paddington Station. He meets the kindly Brown family who offer him a temporary haven. So his name is Paddington after the train station? I guess. Uh, maybe they name him that because they find him. Maybe. I, I don't know. He's uh, a talking like bear. I don't Stuart know. Little, yeah. but a bear. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm sure at some point I'll have to watch it. But... And his quirk is marmalade. Marmalade. <laughs> marmalade. So that's, that's cute. That's cute, I guess. That's cute. Yeah. So cute <laughs> well there you have it it I lost really it's 100 percent rotten tomato score to a bear it won to, bear, to a bear it lost its uh title to the highest reviewed uh rotten tomatoes film ever to a bear so you know we all can't be winners we all can't be winners sorry orson Wells. Kane. <laughs> fuck you orson Welles. stay in your grave no um <laughs> <laughs> this you- critic is probably like just laughing his ass off in his grave just like yeah, i'm still screwing you over 80 years later yeah um <laughs> yeah the i think the main takeaway from this is orson wells wouldn't have cared about this at all at all like okay okay um instead of rosebud it should have been marmalade marmalade <laughs> can someone go back and like re-edit that whole movie to just have marmalade and the and then you know on the on the sled it just says marmalade, marmalade. instead of rosebud oh <laughs> please um okay uh also spoiler for citizen kane linda hey is- i didn't say the significance of rosebud rosebud it's like at the very beginning of the movie yeah, but you don't find out what it is until the end. I guess I, I didn't spoiled tell it. you. You, you said Rose, but I said Slug. You try to blame <clears throat> me for your mistakes is not my problem. You know, that movie is really good, though. Citizen Kane is a really good movie. It is. I, I know that's like the basic thing that film critics say. What a, but, what a film student thing for Jared to say, guys. But it really is a... a amazing piece of work and apparently paddington too is too so check them both out um <laughs> maybe they should be studying paddington too in film schools instead of citizen King. they probably will now <laughs> they're gonna be like oh check this out guys this is what citizen kane lost to for threat data score uh a little british bear yeah well well, I think it's time now to move on to what is streaming this week. So um, we're going to take one quick break and we'll be right back to talk about that. So stay tuned. I wanted to tell you a little bit about our website, theboroughreviews.com. If you like indie movies or blockbuster movies and anything in between, really, on our site, you'll find podcast, movie reviews, opinion articles, and more content that covers all types of cinema. But we especially love a good horror movie here at The Borough. If you're looking for a review of your latest project, we got you covered. Simply search thebrewerreviews.com in your web browser and you'll find us. 
As a company residing in Nebraska, we know just how hard it can be to get your message out to the world, and we're here to help. Find our contact page on our website and fill out the form. You'll also find a list of submission guidelines on the page. And while not every submission will be accepted, mainly due to time restrictions, it is always worth a shot. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to the site now and check it out. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. All right, everyone, I lied. We're going to talk about the (laughs) Dexter (laughs) teaser that was just released, the season nine teaser. Um, We talked about it a little while ago, but Dexter is getting revived at Showtime um, for a limited series. So one season just kind of, I think, to come back in and wrap up and maybe not leave that sour taste in everyone's mouth um, that we got, you know, at the finale. We'll Um, see. The worst TV finale that I've ever seen for any show. Did I not thought Game of Thrones it. was. Oh shit! Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> um, yeah, Game We're of Thrones too. But honestly, I feel like De- Dexter was more disappointing because, like, it, Game of Thrones, you could see it coming. You know what I mean? But the it was the actual finale that was the problem with Dexter. Like the actual final episode was just so bad. And with Game of Thrones, it was like the whole season. So they're on different okay. they're on different planes. I mean, the the last season of Dexter wasn't great, but I think that you know if you would have gotten a proper finale, maybe it would have been a little better, a little bit more well received. Um, but anyway, you watched Dexter. I've watched Dexter. What do you think about the teaser? Um, it's not much. It's basically just Michael C. Hall smiling at the camera. Yeah, and you know how I stand with Michael C. Hall. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went on like a brief little rail Jared before we started talking about this. Uh, but I mean, it's exciting. I do like Dexter. Dexter is a pretty significant show for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, we were still fairly young when the show was airing. And it was yeah. my parents did not like the idea of watching kids shows. Around their kids, so we just watched shows like Dexter together as a family. So, yes, I grew up watching Dexter, and it was just, you know, since I was just a kid, of course, I wasn't really paying much attention to it. I was like, this is dumb. There's adults in this. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then, you know, as I got older, I learned to appreciate it. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's good memories associated with Dexter. There's really good storylines, and it's just... It's a it's a very creative original cop show. Like with cop shows, there's always like so many similarities to them. Like you know, procedurals. It, yeah, yeah, and, and it's, they feel same the same exact show, like reskinned over and over and over. Again. Pretty much, and Dexter pretty much just started the whole like let's actually be a- creative with cop shows and let's do something different. And it it worked really well. It was really good. It was really cool because you still got, you know, the whole cop show aspect. And then you got, like, the darker serial killer aspect. And, you know, you, you had all this stuff going on to make it more than just a basic cop show. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for a Dexter season nine, even if it is just the season nine. And so. Hmm. You, oh, sorry. I just 
I saw that you were typing something. I was like, what are you going to oh, say? Oh, yeah. I was just typing for my own so I could ask you later. Oh. <laughs> so okay. I wasn't going to ever um, put it in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. But yeah, no. So even if we do just get the one season, mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. Even if it is just to wrap stuff up. I'm, I'm okay with that. Just to get a, a little bit more of that weird looking man. Weird looking man. Um, yeah, no, I uh, I think I started watching Dexter either I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school. Um, we actually, I, I had an ex-girlfriend in high school and we would watch it with her family. Like basically we, they, they watched it like religiously. And so like, I remember always going over to like their house and like watching it there. Um but it's really interesting that you talked about like the the cop show aspect of um, Dexter because I'm wondering because of the events of the finale, um, I wonder if we're even gonna get any of that cop show there. I don't think so, unless unless we follow the people maybe trying to track him down still. Like if there's like a conspiracy theorist. Or like a police investigation that's still open, you know, because maybe they suspect that he didn't die. Um, you know, I don't know if we're going to be following them or if we're just going to be following Dexter himself. So it might be very different from what we understand Dexter to be. And uh, I don't know how people are going to receive it, but I am open to the idea of them trying something completely new, mm-hmm. um, you know, and something creative to really kind of finish strong with his arc as a character. Um, Cause it didn't really feel like we got an ending. You know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe, maybe this was the plan all along was to, you know, leave it a mystery, you know, lumberjack Dexter, and then we'll, we'll come back to it <laughs> later on. Right. He doesn't have a beard in this teaser, which I feel like we should talk about because that's what everyone was worried about. It was like, are we getting, it was like, Oh fuck, are we getting lumberjack Dexter? Like what's going on? And I'm glad we're not. He's clean shaven. He has that same smirk that he has, um, basically for the first half of the show. He is and, noticeably uh, older too. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he he's finally started to age a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm wondering here, like, what the direction that they're going in is. But I don't think it's going to be that that cop. You know that it's not going to be that same police like police force feel as we had in the past, which is kind of disappointing because I like cop shows and I like ones that take risks like Dexter did. So mm-hmm. it's kind of unfortunate that we're not going to get that again, but where do you think they're going to go? Like, do you think we're bringing old characters back in? Do you think that everyone's coming back or do you think that there are some characters that are going to be missing? Um, I think they'll bring back old characters, just not in a very, not in a normal way. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, traditional. Thank you. My vocabulary is acting up. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. My speech I, is always acting up. Like, you know, sometimes I just don't know what words to say. But I I think they'll come back more in like flashback way. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just kind of like brief cameos. Mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling that Jennifer Carpenter is going to be back probably – I think she's going to probably have the most significant role, maybe if any, out of out of anyone else in the show. Which is um, good. Deborah's iconic. Old. I love her. Yeah. 
from the OG cast. Uh, I don't know about James Raymer. Like, I don't know if he's coming back to, you know, play Harry Morgan. And I don't know what's happening with Dexter's son, which is something that we discussed beforehand. I don't think his son's going to play a major part. I really don't. Um, I think I th- so. You do? Yeah. I think it's going to play a major part in the story. I don't think it's going to play a major part on screen. Like, I don't think we're going to have that character, like, on screen consistently. Because where, I forget, where is, where is his son at, at this point? Didn't he leave his son with, um... I Didn't he leave him with Rita's mom? I thought with so. With Aster and Cody? Yes. So, yes. Yep, that is right. So, he... I don't think he's going to be a character like on the show because the thing is, is we might see him, but I think Dexter's on the outside still. Right. So we're going to have this perspective of looking in, into his life, but he's not going to be a part of the show. I don't think, um, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I could see them doing a thing where it's like, Oh no, Hey, look, here's the character that, you know, but he's over there. And Dexter's just kind of in the background watching. I don't think it. Okay. Have you seen Breaking Bad? You yeah. Haven't. Oh, have you seen all of it though? No. Yeah. Um, have you gotten to the part where like Mike, like Mike is like spending time with his like granddaughter and like, I guess that really doesn't happen too much in Breaking Bad. It happens more in Better Call Saul, but anyway, one of the, you know, Mike from Breaking Bad, he uh, yeah. basically just, goes to visit his daughter and goes to like check in on his granddaughter every so often. Um, and I think that's going to kind of be the similarity that we're going to draw from here. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I don't know. Like I, I understand that they kind of had to like do something with Dexter's son for the sake of the plot, but he was like, he was just a baby. So it's not like they could really do much to incorporate mm-hmm. him, especially in a show with like such adult themes. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what they do with a lot of shows where they introduce a new baby, but, you know, like shows like Nip Tuck, things like that, where it's just, you know, it has strong adult themes in it. Uh, so I think now that ideally his son should be like a couple years older by now. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they might make him a bigger character in the show now Now that they're actually able to do something with the kid. Yeah, that the kid can actually do stuff, um, but I don't know. I feel like him being a dad was an important plot point in the show, like being a new dad to a new child. But you know, like I said, they weren't really able to do much. But now that the kid's a couple years older, they're actually able to start making storylines that can actually revolve around him. And I just think that that's an opportunity they shouldn't waste. Quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm not really sure what they could do. I just feel like the now that they have the opportunity to that do they more, do they, they should take advantage. Yeah, mm. I and they probably will because the thing is, you know, if you even if you think about the Dexter storyline, it was always my father, my father, my father. There was always a huge like familial element to Dexter, and with you know Deborah being deceased. Um, Really, that's his only like connection, like to his family, and so I feel like yeah, they probably you're probably right. They probably will bring him in a little bit more. Um, 
And this is the opportunity for Dexter to be more like Harry towards his son. Because, I mean, for all we know, his son could have that that killer taste, too. And that I hope they don't do. I I don't want to retread all that. But but I I do think, like, incorporating a son into it a little bit more might be helpful as far as, you know, wrapping the story up nicely goes. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, that's our discussion of, of the... Dexter season nine teaser that we got uh, from Showtime. So be sure to check out when that show comes out. Do do we have like a release date? Um, I don't think there's been check. anything official yet, right? No, there hasn't been. Uh, looks like it might actually be released um, sometime this year. October return Showtime. Oh, they got Clancy Brown. I am so excited about Clancy Brown. Look, I love that guy. Nice. He he is really good. I like him as Mr. Krabs. Yeah. <laughs> He's iconic in like everything though. Yeah. Like, um, Pet Cemetery 2 was honestly not the greatest movie ever, but his character in that, just how crazy he played him, was very entertaining. Yeah, I imagine we usually when we get a teaser, it means that there's a trailer coming in the next couple of months. And then after the trailer, it's about three months. So maybe we are going for like an October, November um, release date this year. So um, I guess just keep your eyes peeled for that. But we're going to take another break. And then this time we're going to come back and tell you about what's streaming. So we'll be right back. I'm sure you know by now, but we have our own YouTube channel. There, we upload video reviews of the latest television shows or movies and stream gaming content weekly. We have a goal to reach 100 subscribers by the end of the year. Right now, we are about 12 subscribers away from reaching that goal, and it would mean everything to the team here to be able to accomplish this goal. Simply search the Burr Reviews in YouTube search bar to find us. Make sure to not only subscribe if you like the content, but to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to make sure you receive notifications of when we upload or go live. The Burr Reviews, your movie refuge. So what can you watch this week? Well, Tom Clancy's Without Remorse debuted on Amazon Prime. It stars Michael B. Jordan. And he is playing um, John Kelly, a Navy SEAL, previously portrayed on screen by Willem Dafoe and Leif Schreiber for this loose adaptation of Clancy's 1993 novel. Um, And like I said, you can find that on Amazon Prime. I hear good and bad things about it. Um, If you're a fan of Tom Clancy's stuff and you're a fan of that like high octane action, um, maybe give it a watch. Um, I don't think I will be, but I do like Michael B. Jordan. And that is the one draw that I have to that, that series. So I definitely might check it out. You also have secrets of whales, or rather secrets of the whales. Um, and that is on, uh, Nat Geo. So I think you can find that on Disney plus. Yeah. Um, filmmaker James Cameron, and renowned explorer, a good job title, and underwater photographer expert, uh, Brian uh, Skiri, team up with National Geographic for the sweeping documentary series about whales packed with so much footage it took more than three years to shoot. Um, okay, so you hear James Cameron, whatever, whatever. Sigourney Weaver is narrating this. 
I I figured you'd say something. Come on, man. Like, you almost have to go to Disney Plus and just turn that on in the background. If you, like, look here, if you're at home and you have extra work to do, you're working from home, you know, you're not in the office and you're doing some needless, mindless, numbing, mind-numbing paperwork and office work, I would say get on your little computer, go to Disney Plus and just turn on this documentary just so you can hear Sigourney Weaver's voice. It is so soothing. Aww. I love her voice. Her narration voice is amazing. You're I absolutely love it. You Weaver, though. I do. I do. I do. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Um, but yeah, like I said, you can find uh, Secrets of the Whales on Disney+. Plus, and then you also have Percy versus Goliath um, in this courtroom and Varveal drama based on a true story. Christopher Walken plays Piercy Schmeiser, a Canadian farmer who became an unlikely thorn in the side of GMO crop seed giant Monsanto. Ah, so we got a Monsanto story. Those are always good. Um, I think the the main draw of this is it's Christopher Walken uh, as a Canadian. I think that right there tells you everything you need to know about the series and why you should watch it. Um, you can find that on Amazon, Google Play, Vudu. So on all the premium video on demand services, um, you can find that there. Um, that's really all that we have for the, the new streaming um, shows and movies. There really isn't too much like yet, but let me tell you the rest of May is packed. You have Spiral coming out in theaters. You have Army of the Dead on Netflix. You have A Quiet Place 2 to wrap up the month. There is a lot to watch this month. So don't feel discouraged if you can't get around to everything. Because we're not going to be able to get around to everything. Which is kind of nope. going to be a little depressing. Yep. When's the last time we had horror in theaters? You know? <sighs> When was I, the last time that we went to a horror movie in theaters? I honestly think it was scary movies to, or scary stories to tell. In the it dark. was. Yeah. That is not okay. That is not okay. Um, so I'm really glad to see like Spiral. Um, it Spiral's being talked about quite a bit, so I imagine it's going to be you know at least somewhat decent as far as box office goes. Probably not anything major, but. I'm definitely yeah. thinking like opening weekend, 13 to 15 million probably. Um, so not like too strong of a showing, but I think it's going to have a significant pull. Um, just people wanting to go out and, and watch a horror movie. Uh, and then A Quiet Place 2 is definitely going to draw in some numbers box oh, office yeah. wise. Um, so I'm curious to know what that's going to do, you know, when we get there later this month. Um but yeah, a lot to watch. Uh, so don't feel discouraged by everything that's coming out this month, like I said, because we also are here at the Into the Burrow podcast. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I, do our da- we'll do our best. We'll try to get to as many things as possible so you won't have to. Yeah. And also, you're finishing up them. What episode are you on? I already finished it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two-day binge. It, is it? Uh, how long are the episodes? like an hour oh uh, sorry every time that a show has like hour-long episodes i just i i don't know i'm i guess i'm getting to the point now where it's like give me like 20 minute episodes and give me like 10 of them and like let me binge it but uh how many is it 10 episodes yeah mm-hmm. it yeah i mean it was very depressing yeah and i was kind of wrong like after the first episode i sent you like 
a pretty long text about how I felt about it. I was pretty much wrong about most, if not everything. Mm. Um, but it's still finished on a very somber note. There are a lot of very poor reviews on that about that show because of how depressing the ending was. Like that pissed people off. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was it was hard to sit through it all just because it is a very tough watch. Um, if you don't want to watch them, but you want to watch things similar to them, I do have like I there were just like movies just like flooding my brain that just reminded me of different episodes of that show. Like Straw Dogs was a big one because of the whole neighbor aspect of it. Um, An American Crime, uh, Jack Ketchum's Girl Next Door, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, Those movies, like all of them, very much remind me of this. Weirdly enough, The Help, I think just because of like the timepiece and like how bitchy Hmm. the girls were in that. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, like... (laughs) Yeah, uh, those those movies just like all reminded me of that show. So if you end up liking the show, watch those movies. If you like those movies, give the show a try. But yeah, that's kind of my very brief review on that. I um this week I wrapped up Invincible. I got the screener a couple days in, in advance for the finale, and then I um I didn't make a new review, but I did go back and just edit and update the review that I already had. Mm-hmm. Um, did Lane get around to watching the finale? No. You don't talk to him about the show, and every week I ask you. Every week I know, you think I've learned. I should just probably just text him, but you uh, probably should. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love the finale. Like, I think that that show and it got renewed by the way for seasons two and season three. Um and so I'm really excited about the future of the show and kind of where it's going. It set up a lot of, so the first half of the finale really like was like your action. And then the last half of it was like really just exposition and setting things up for the future, which um, I think they did masterfully, you know, it was kind of slow at the end, but it was good slow. Um, yeah. So I think now that I did that, you would still recommend I watch then. Oh, oh, yes. it's changed. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I would say give it a try just because it was a very, it was interesting. It's not at all like how I thought it would end up being, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, I just want someone to talk about it too. I think that's the main reason why I'd recommend it to you is just, I need to talk to someone about it who would understand. <laughs> yes. Honey. Oh, she's on Did the you finish now. Invincible? Did you like it? Oh, he loved it. Yeah, that uh, train sequence. Say the train sequence was spot on. Was the was the train sequence spot on? He said it was very impressive, but that wasn't an actual thing that happened in the comics. Oh, it wasn't. See, I didn't read the comic, so I don't have that reference point. But I think it was one of the most shocking, like, parts of the finale. But also, like, I mean, it summed everything up so perfectly. Anyway, yeah. Was it a very shocking part of the scene? He said that whole episode was just kind of shocking to him. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you, honey. I love you. Okay. Love you. Bye. 
And there, me and Lane reviewed Invincible. <laughs> the Invincible finale in two minutes. From now on, I'll just conference call him. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have no one to talk about that show too. So he's like the only one. Text him. You guys can be a little texting buddies about that I show. I just love that show so much. Uh, it was such a surprise to me because I got the screener and I was dreading it. Linda, I was dreading it. I was like, yeah, sure. Like I, I sent a message to the the press contacts and I was like, yeah, like let me review it. Sure. And then I was just excited about the cast. And then I started watching the show in episode one. I was like, okay. And then the last two minutes of episode one, I was like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and then, uh, and then episode two was good. And then it just kept getting better and better. And then finally Aww. I was like, I'm so glad I reviewed this, but, uh, um, I'll, have to like let you all know what the next couple of weeks are looking like so next week we are taking a brief break there are five mondays in may so we're gonna take next week off and then we'll be back on the 17th so you can expect us then um and then hopefully maybe we'll review something then um i'm gonna try and see if i can't uh swing an army of the dead screener um so at least we can do that ahead of time um, and that would be something where we could have a movie night again, Linda, Yay. for Army of the Dead. Um, oh, that'd be fun. I can bring be my Snuggie back again. Yes, yes, your Snuggie. And then, yeah, we have to do a film festival again. That was just too fun. It was. I hope Nightstream does a second year. I really Me do. Too. So, um, oh my God, Nightstream was amazing. I always, I think about that all the time. You just are had, just you, you just are happy that you got to message Kyle Gallner and he messaged <laughs> back. messages guys he was so sweet they and didn't see the messages he liked but... my tweets and he liked what i had to say and next up is patrick wilson i'm gonna get him to love me too we'll, oh. we'll have to do something for the conjuring three and we'll just have to like can i please write a review for the conjuring three and then you can like put it in the little tweets like you did with the nice stream so that i can have him love me mm-hmm. <laughs> yay yeah, you're more than welcome to write whenever you want. I don't prevent you from writing anything. He doesn't. I, I prevent myself because I always think, uh, I can't do this. <laughs> but you know what? If I assert, you know, I put myself out there once and Kyle Gallner and well. loved me. So See? I don't need any other validation besides Patrick Wilson. <laughs> All right. Um yeah that about does it for today's show everyone so uh stay tuned we will be back um in a couple weeks here on the 17th and we're gonna hopefully talk about some more movies hopefully horror movies at that point so i hope you all have a good rest of your week and we'll see you on the next episode everyone bye